Venom returns to the theaters, and a familiar name returns to Doctor Who. All this and more on today's episode of the Geek Watch Podcast. This is the Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Mandy Petrie. Greetings, Geek Watchers, and welcome to episode 125 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher, and with me as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Petrie. Brian, how goes it? Uh, it goes well, and we got a bunch of things to talk about today, mm-hmm. but I wanted to start out because this news just broke right before we started recording. There has been a settlement between Scarlett Johansson and Marvel. Oh, so. I hope that was favorable. Yeah, well, they're not going to tell us exactly what the settlement was. That's okay. all under wraps, as these out-of-court settlements tend to be. Mm-hmm. But because of the fact that Marvel didn't really want to go to court, Scarlett Johansson didn't really want to go to court, Mm -hmm. I figured it was going to be an out-of-court settlement, and now that's done and it's over with, and both sides are happy and able to go on. Scarlett Johansson is still going to be doing movies with Disney. Well, you know how uh, Disney has been doing a lot of movies based off of their rides? Yes. Well, she's doing a Tower of Terror movie, which is Uh. actually one of my my favorite rides in Disney. Wow. Oh. So that was already in the mm-hmm. works, and that's still going forward, which is good. I'm I'm just really glad to see that this whole thing is now behind everyone. Mm-hmm. The thing about it was it was going to be a publicity nightmare anyway yeah. because it just seemed like everybody was on Scarlett Johansson's side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and As they should be. Yeah, I mean, in- Including, of course, Kevin Feige. So mm-hmm. it, I had a feeling that it was going to go to a settlement, and I'm glad that it did, and that part of it's over. But... Marvel going to court is not over yet because something, this is what I wanted to bring up. I don't know if you know anything about this, but this is so weird. Marvel, they're going to court with the estates of Stan Lee, of Steve Ditko, and a bunch of other people. Wow. And the reason for that is this. When you create a work and sell the rights to that work to someone else, then after a certain amount of time the rights can revert back to the person who created it. I Um, did think that it became public domain. Yeah. Because I thought that the Oz franchises went, I guess franchise, I don't know, um, you know, bomb. Yeah. Went back to public domain. Yeah. Which is why so much got Yeah, it's usually, I think it's, I think it's either 60 or 90 years after the death of the, uh, of the creator. But I think it's like 35 years after the rights were sold that they revert back. So it's a shorter amount of time. And so some estates have been suing Marvel. Marvel's been suing back. And they're basically suing for the rights for Spider-Man, Doctor mm. Strange, mm. Iron Man, other members of the Avengers, Black Widow. Wow, that just... Yeah. yeah. This is no small deal for sure. Yeah, and I was... Just think like well i know fox had x-men and those properties yeah. well and they I'm had not sure what they had bought the rights to be able to make them into movies but of course after a while they they revert back to the owners that uh-huh. because they have the rights to those characters they don't technically own them mm-hmm. what marvel's defense is and why they're suing to keep the ownership for these characters is they're saying that they were created as work by hire In other words, they hired someone to create this character for them as it being a work for hire. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, it doesn't belong to the person who was hired to create the characters. It belongs to Marvel. Okay. Huh. And so that's the debate. Yeah. Is it, a, is it a work for hire? And is yeah, it work that's, yeah, that's a, I think about uh, graphic designers. The person who designed the ampersand in AT&T does not own it anymore. They were hired to create it. Mm-hmm. It's an icon, just like, you know, any other character or design. But, yeah, that is that is not going to be an easy decision to, yeah. uh, to debate. And am, when you think about it, if Steve Ditko's estate gets the rights to Spider-Man back, they can do anything with it that they want. Now, I mean, let's face it. If I had the rights to Spider-Man, <laughs> I'd never have to work another day in my life. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because that's a huge amount of money. Uh-huh. And literally, they could do anything they want with that character. They could go to DC and say, hey, you want to have Spider-Man? And they would ha- They could use it. Mm-hmm. They could use the character. They would pay whatever the estate decided they wanted to charge for it. Of course, Marvel is fighting tooth and nail to keep these characters for obvious reasons. Right. Because they are a... A cash cow. Now, what throws a little bit of uh, curveball to all of this is that recently the screenwriter for Friday the 13th, the original Friday the 13th movie, Victor Miller, he went to court saying that he wrote the character of Jason in Friday the 13th and that he should have the ability to get the rights to that screenplay and those characters mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. So he went to court and sued Sean Cunningham, who was the director and the producer for the original Friday the 13th, okay. and he won. Huh. That just happened rather recently. So Wow, okay. Now, I'm sure that this is going to go mm-hmm. into appeal, but he got the rights back, so which means he can... So- uh, did he write Friday Thirteenth two or three? No, because that's the thing. I mean, what we know as the character of Jason really mm. didn't show up until three, right? Because he was just a little boy in the first one, and then he, in the second one, he just wore a, a like a burlap hood, and then he didn't get that hockey mask until the third. So that's the one we think about, right? So wow, that was. That is an interesting decision on their part. Yeah, because Jason did appear in the first movie, but mm-hmm. as you say, just like the monster little boy who came out of the lake. Yeah. What the court decided, I would guess, is that just because they changed the character a bit doesn't change the fact that the character was originally created by Victor Miller. Mm-hmm. And so it, that character belongs to him, even wow. though they made changes to it. Yeah. And... Why I find this extremely interesting, besides the fact that this is a very similar case to the one that Marvel's in right now. Mark Toberoff, who was Victor Miller's lawyer in this case, is also the lawyer for Steve Ditko's estate in the case with Marvel. But the other thing, too, is that Marvel is part of Disney, and if there's anyone who is good at getting around copyright, it's them. (laughs) Because, after all, Mickey Mouse should be in public domain. And Mickey Mouse no. is not in public domain. No, he owns public domain. Yeah, <laughs> Mickey Mouse owns everything. Yeah, I just, uh, but yes, if, you know, that is your intellectual property, you have a right to make money off of it. Mm-hmm. But on the other end, if you hire an artist to create something for you, it should be yours. Mm-hmm. That's where things get kind of weird. Yeah, like commissioning and a painting or... As as someone put it, it, it would be like saying, you know, I, I sold you a car and 10 years down the road, I say, well, I want the car back and just take it back. Mm-hmm. But obviously, when you're dealing with huge amounts of money, suddenly it becomes a lot more complicated, yeah, for sure. Very. But before we get to reviews, there is one more piece of news we got to talk about, which also broke this week. And I know you and I both uh, were <laughs> yes, interested in I talking about I know exactly what this. you're talking about. Yes. 
So we got some news in the realm of Doctor Who. They have finally named their new showrunner, the new boss. Same as the old boss. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Russell T. Davies is back. Right. Yes. And I know you're excited about I that. I am, yeah. So when you heard the news, uh-huh. uh, what was like the first thing that came to you when you were thinking about it? That we're we're going to get back some of that spark from 2005 when we first got back and we were first excited about it. Not that there's anything been wrong with what we've got through the years. and But, you know, kind of I loved the writing and when we had Christopher Eccleson on. And I'm just really excited about getting back to that. Oh, I, I would think mm-hmm. so. Well, I mean, David Tennant, he's mm-hmm. pretty much still your favorite doctor, though, yes, isn't he? Yes, he is. He's still my doctor. Uh-huh. And so I loved it when he was showrunner for a bunch of reasons. Mm -hmm. First of all, he brought Doctor Who back after many, many years of not having Doctor Who. Yeah, if you don't count the movie, the very American movie. The the very American movie. (laughs) It is a very, very American movie. (laughs) It it is indeed. Mm -hmm. When Russell T. Davies first started Doctor Who back up, you couldn't see it in America because they just didn't figure anyone in America cared about this British show. And so for me Wrong. to see the to see Christopher Eccleston, I had to get a bootleg DVD uh-huh. from a horror convention. I think it was like, I want to say it was like Monster Mania in New Jersey, mm-hmm. in Cherry Hill. And somebody had an obvious bootleg copy of Doctor Who. And since you just <laughs> couldn't get it anywhere else right. in the United States, uh-huh. I got it so I could watch the first season. And I may actually have that bootleg copy floating oh, around somewhere. Oh, that is brilliant. Yeah. I... But the obvious bootleg copy. I guess... This is when it came on Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, because those first two seasons they had on Sci-Fi Channel, and then I had to go and find it again when it came on BBC America. But uh, the Sci-Fi Channel had it for, yeah. for at least two seasons there, and that's where I saw it. And uh, they hadn't changed some of the words for American audiences yet. Uh, like in one episode I can remember, they said, we had to go find her because she got lost in the lavatory. And then when when I saw it later, it said we had to get her because she was lost in the bathroom. So they had changed it for American audiences obviously. But. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Russell T. Davies. I, one of my favorite reads was a book that he put out years ago about Doctor Who, and it was a collection of a lot of the emails sent back and forth, and him talking about a lot of the things he had to go through to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could tell that even during his time in Doctor Who, there was a lot of struggles going on, a lot of things that he had to put up with, and Once he broke ties with Doctor Who, uh, he didn't want anything to do with Doctor Who again. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. Right. You you want to move on. And so even when Stephen Moffat, who took over for him, Mm -hmm. when he asked Russell to come back and maybe write an episode or two, he was like, I'm I'm not interested. um, Yeah. And that's why. Not turning back. Yeah. And he went on to do some great stuff. You know, he had certainly moved on with his career and has been doing really well. And don't get me wrong. I was excited about Stephen Moffat because I had seen some of his other BBC works like Coupling. Yeah. And, you know, they had some like time travel episodes on that. And it was really clever. And I think he had something to do with Jekyll, didn't he? Yeah, he wrote. He wrote I thought so. He, he yeah, was, he, he wrote Jekyll, which was great. Yeah, and of course his episodes of Doctor Who under Russell T Davies mm-hmm. era uh, was some of the best episodes in Doctor Who for yes, sure. Definitely. And so that's why for me it was a huge surprise when I heard he was coming back. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it also made me say. Well, one, they must have offered him an awful lot of money uh, oh. for him to come back. <laughs> uh-huh. 
<laughs> but what it also does is it, at least to my mind, it also makes me think, well, all this talk about they were happy with everything that was going on with Chris Chibnall, that's going to be a hard sell mm -hmm. from this point on. Because if they were happy with the Chris Chibnall era, if they weren't having problems, it's like if you were driving around and you were driving someplace you weren't familiar with and you took a wrong turn, what would you do? You'd loop back around and go back to where you knew where you were mm -hmm. and start over. And that's pretty much what they're doing here. Mm -hmm. They're bringing back Russell T. Davies, in a sense, to start over. And so a lot of the stuff that's been coming out of the BBC that, you know, we're happy with what Chris Chibnall's been doing. Chris Chibnall had decided to leave after the first season, which I've had a problem with that story forever <laughs> because either one of two things happened. He either got fired and they're lying about it, or he actually meant to stay just long enough for this one doctor. Huh. And he basically lied to the BBC about it because why would they hire him? I have the feeling he got fired. Mm. And one thing I will definitely say about Russell T. Davies, I know a lot of people are looking forward to getting Doctor Who back exactly the way it was before. Oh. Uh, but first of all, 12 years have passed. And he's going to be a different writer. Mm -hmm. We're not going to get the exact same thing that we got originally. Oh, yeah, we grow. I mean, I, I yeah. know I've brought it up on here before um, doing The Odd Couple. I did the female version of The Odd Couple. And I thought it was so much funnier because he had written it 20 years later and said it 20 years later in the 80s. I thought it was so much funnier than <laughs> than the one done in the 60s with the men. Yeah. It, I thought the, the dialogue was more clever and, you know, Neil Simon, you can't beat him. But I found it so much funnier than the original. Yeah. And well, the other thing, too, is that if anyone's just saying, well, it's going to be great for Doctor Who to come back and not be political like it is now. It's like, <laughs> did you remember did you ever watch it before did you ever watch the show <laughs> i mean this was the show that a male character kissed the doctor and it wasn't a big deal uh-huh yeah you know, when the doctor was a male character and mm. it wasn't a big deal at all yeah there was no fit throwing saying you know they're shoving it in my face or anything <laughs> yeah but the thing about it is i'm definitely looking forward to seeing russell t davies again now the thing about it is of course is that chris chibnall has still got this entire season that's coming up there's going to be mm -hmm. three specials with jody whittaker Mm -hmm. And then we get to the 60th anniversary, and Russell is supposed to be taking over from there. He's going to write that. Now, if I had to make a prediction, and this is just complete speculation on my part, and I say this because there were some moments during his reign as the showrunner where this happened. I have a feeling that Davies is going to be more involved in the specials than he may be credited for. Mm -hmm. Because that did happen in, in seasons of Doctor Who when he was the showrunner. There were times when he did script rewrites uncredited. Okay. So I have a feeling that his influence on the specials specifically are going to be a lot more than we'll see in the credits. Like great idea, terrible execution, i got to fix this. Possibly. Yeah. Someone uh, should have done that with BBC's Dracula. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was great. A great idea with the mythos. Terrible, terrible, terrible execution. Well, <laughs> again, we find ourselves in a situation with Stephen Moffat. And I think Stephen Moffat, there was a lot of great things that we got from him during his tenure as the showrunner. Mm. But I think that when he was under Davies is when he really... He really shone as a writer mm -hmm. because he didn't have to do a long storyline. He could go in and do what he did best for an episode. Okay. And, and we've talked about this before. The thing about Moffat, what he loves to do is he loves to write himself into a corner 
and try to get himself out. And he doesn't always mm -hmm. stick the landing. Mm -hmm. And I think yep. Dracula was that moment where he... <laughs> spoilers for BBC's <laughs> Dracula, Dracula. If you haven't seen it, don't. Um. <laughs> but, th but that twist where he winds up in modern-day Britain... Well, they only gave us three episodes. We only got three episodes. So you if got they that. had stretched it out a little bit, uh, but the mythos was great. You know that he gained his powers from his victims. You know that is beautiful. That's yeah, that's great. There were a lot of there were a <sighs> yeah. lot of great ideas, but I think this idea of putting him into the modern world as a surprise, it was yeah. it was a, that twist. I think that's where Stephen Moffat painted himself into a corner, like he likes to do, uh -huh. and tried to extricate himself from it. Yeah, he's like, oh, I, I'm in modern day. I'm immediately going to commit suicide <sighs> yeah and hey you know we talk about you know public domain and such dracula is the public domain you can do whatever you want to the character that you want uh some things you shouldn't do <laughs> yeah. yeah just because you can do something doesn't, doesn't mean, mean that you should, should. <sighs> but getting back to doctor who i'm excited about this i don't think like some people may believe that this is a step back because I don't believe that Davies is the same writer that he was 12 years ago. Mm. I think that we're going to get something new and fresh out of this. And I don't think Davies would have just done this for the money because mm. he certainly could have done it for money before, mm. but he didn't. And so he certainly has some ideas. Now, the big question is the timeless child. What's he going to do with that? Yeah. Because you kind of have to yeah, we're gonna it. yeah we're gonna have gonna have to acknowledge that you know there's not really retconning that you know unless all of a sudden oh it was actually the master the whole time yeah no um so yeah, you, you're gonna have to do something with that's, it that's that's that is going to be something yeah. yeah and it's not something you can really ignore because mm. obviously even though you could continue on with Doctor Who and never acknowledge that this ever happened, mm -hmm. which I have a feeling that Chris Chibnall, for the most part, was planning on doing, it's not something you can just ignore because you have left so many questions now mm -hmm. that you're going to have to answer. If the Doctor is in the Time Lord, what race is she? Where did she come from? Where are the rest of them? Mm -hmm. what, what would they do if they found out that one of their children had been kidnapped, tortured, and her Killed powers over stripped. over and over again and yeah and yes. their powers basically stripped this could be a war yeah and there are other questions interdimensional war and interdimensional wars so obviously there's a lot of questions you can't just not answer mm -hmm. so davies is going to have to deal with that now he has said in the press that he loved the Timeless Child storyline. Mm. I have a feeling that this is more political than, uh, than maybe the uh -huh. truth. I can't say that for sure because <laughs> yeah. obviously uh, I didn't talk to Davies about this. <laughs> it's certainly going to be interesting to see what we get. But, I mean, we're that's 2023 before we're even <sighs> going to so get there. So far away. Yeah, so far away. Tomorrow. It'll, it'll feel like it's tomorrow. <laughs> well, it may feel like yeah. that way for me. But... I guess we'll find out what we, we find out. We shall see. So now it's time to look to some reviews. So we'll start out with yesterday I saw the new Venom movie. Oh, how was that? Let There Be Carnage. Well, I've yep. got some things to talk about. I'm going to make this completely spoiler free. Okay. Not that I would say that there's a, an awful lot of huge things to spoil except for one thing, which I'm going to leave to the end. They still uh, say symbiote. No, they do not still say symbiote. <laughs> Uh, but there's something at the end that I'm also not going to spoil, but it's it definitely is worth me talking about briefly, even though I don't spoil it. But okay. I will say about the movie, I enjoyed it. I had fun. It is a nice little popcorn film. I am going to say this. Anybody who didn't like the first one, 
you're not going to like the second one. Oh, uh-oh. And you're not going to like the second one for the same reasons you didn't like the first one. And a lot of people had problems with the first one because it's not like the comics. You don't need, uh. It has nothing to do with Spider-Man. This is its own thing. Venom is too jokey. Hmm. It's just not what... It's not what, dark enough for them? Is that what they're... Yeah, it's, it's definitely they, not dark did enough. Did they want a blade like Venom? I don't understand. Well, they wanted the comics, Venom. <laughs> the Ven- and Venom was a very frightening, messed up character. Uh-huh. And a lot of that depended on those interactions with Spider-Man, which we didn't get because you didn't have Spider-Man in the first Venom movie. Right. And... You don't have that origin story that the symbiote was attached to Peter Parker first and then found Eddie Brock and they decided to work together to destroy Mm Spider-Man. What you get instead is you get, and it's funny you mentioned the odd couple, is you kind of get that odd couple vibe (laughs) because they... The way Eddie is and the way Venom is, is they're not the same. They're roommates living in one body? Yes. That is great. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and a lot of people seem to enjoy that, but if you're a fan of the comics, you hated the heck out of it. Uh-huh. And I know a lot of people that when they saw the mid credit scene that had Cassidy in it, they were like, oh my God, we're going to get Carnage. Maybe this first movie didn't hit the mark, but if you're bringing Carnage into a Venom movie, we're going to get our hard R-rated bloodbath. <laughs> it's going to be gruesome. It's going to be it's going to be a nightmare. We're going to love it. And then let there be Carnage, PG-13. And people who were looking forward to this, they just got so disappointed. They're like, but no, no, no. Where's my bloodbath? I was I wanted a bloodbath. <laughs> And yeah, for for Carnage in the comics, that would have been absolutely appropriate. But no, you didn't get that. For those people, Sandman's coming up. They can deal with that on Netflix. But if you want it to be exactly like the comics, why even go see the movie if you're not going to have any kind of surprise? Stephen King, Under the Dome, they were making Under the Dome, and they were making changes to it. He said, well, that's good. It gives people who read the book something to look forward to. Yeah. Um, to some degree, I can understand that if you're invested in a character, you want the things that you loved about that character to be expressed in the movie. I'm, I'm the last person that's going to tell a fan that they need to just grow up and just accept the movie for what it is. Because let's face it, I'm the same guy that to this day has never watched a Will Ferrell movie. Even movies I've seen in the past that I've enjoyed, I have refused to watch them Uh because of Land of the Lost. (laughs) Is it petty? Hell yes, it's petty. Uh Am I going to change my mind and start watching Will Ferrell movies again? Hell no! What? The, what do you watch at Christmas when Elf come? When you're supposed to be watching Elf, what do you watch? I watch Nightmare Before Christmas, <laughs> like a good Christian does. I turn on Elf, <laughs> but that's this is the world I've chosen to live in, and I'm living here. Damn it, I am living here. So I understand why people could be really Uh upset about the fact that they're not getting the comics version, especially if what they're getting is something contrary to what they feel the spirit of that character is. I get it. And if you are invested morally, emotionally, spiritually in the character in the comics and you really hate the movies, if you want to find something wrong with the movies, you're going to find it. Oh, yeah. It's not Shakespeare. There's a lot wrong in Shakespeare, too. So that's a... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. If you want to find something bad in these movies, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. I do like the fact that they got Andy Serkis to direct the second film. 
And as somebody, obviously, who's known for doing motion capture, yeah, working on a film, directing a film that involves motion capture, you know that he knows all the ins he's and outs. He's king. He is. Yeah. He's yeah, the he, king. He's forgotten more about that stuff than most people will ever, ever learn. learn. Yeah. Exactly. And I was going in knowing I wasn't getting the comic books. Mm-hmm. So I was okay with that. Mm-hmm. And I will say this also, because I talked about this in Shang-Chi, about 3D. Mm-hmm. And I had mentioned that some movies, it doesn't really matter if you see it in 3D. Sometimes 3D helps a little bit. I saw Venom in 3D. And I'm going to tell you, this is the way you want to see this movie. It was in 3D. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think it makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that I got a chance to see it in 3D. I think it works extremely well in 3D. And I wonder if it wasn't because Andy Serkis realized that, well, this is going to be in 3D, so let's give him a little something. Mm-hmm. I think it takes huge advantage. So of the big red tongue just comes right out and, you know, oh, yeah. is that your ear? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There's a lot of the fight scenes look really, really good. Okay. And a lot of stuff, I'm not saying stuff is shooting directly at you all the time, uh-huh. um, but there are, there are moments where but they... close, okay. Yeah, there are a lot of moments uh-huh. where the 3D just really works, and I think it really would be, unless you're in a theater that's really old and the screen is really dim, uh-huh. uh, I would say 3D is the preferred way of seeing this movie. Mm-hmm. I would absolutely say that. And if you have the Excellent. opportunity to do mm-hmm. it, then do it. Then do so. All right. So let's talk about the one last thing, though, and that's the mid credit scene, which I am not going to say anything about because I don't want to spoil it. Okay. But it's a mid credit scene that I will say it may overshadow the entire movie. Hmm. It's okay. that big a deal. It's a big enough deal that people will very likely be talking about this mid credit scene more than they actually talk about the movie. Huh. All right. And I'm not going to talk about it any more than that. Of course. Mm-hmm. It's definitely something you want to stay for. This is something that I definitely do want to talk to you about because of the implications of. It'll be something that I want to give it a little bit of time so that people get to see it and we don't spoil it. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely something that I want to talk to you about uh, later on. So we will definitely, we will talk about that. Okay. But now we have a question. I am the Watcher. I am your guide through these vast new realities. Follow me and ponder the question. Where the hell are we going from here? (laughs) It's, oh my goodness. So, we have actually two episodes to talk about. Yes. And, of course, the first one, we had a little bit of fun. What would happen if Thor was an only child? Or, as I like to call it, Marvel's risky business. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you had that. You had that. Thank it, you, Marvel. Thank you for this this episode. Thank yeah. you so much. It was a lot of fun. It was it, great. <laughs> oh, it was oh, so great. It was it was a fun episode. <laughs> it was everything that I wanted an episode like this to be. And after the slog that we went through, mm-hmm. it was refreshing to kind of relax mm-hmm. and have fun for a little bit. I mean, you could talk endlessly, endlessly about everything wonderful, all the tiny little moments that happened in this episode. But my favorite, by far, Darcy and Howard's wedding. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, Brian. I am. <laughs> God, I hope we get so much more of that. Oh, oh, my heart. I love it. I love it. It was that, that was hilarious. 
I love the Grandmaster saying, release the foam. <laughs> and it was, was he on a Segway? What was he on? Oh, yeah, he was on <laughs> a scooter. scooter. He was yes. on a scooter. <laughs> oh, beautiful. We're keeping the scoot scoots. <laughs> it was just a lot of fun. I love the fact that Natalie Portman was back. Uh-huh. There was just a lot of great stuff about it. It was just a nice, light, airy, breezy yes, episode. Yes, very much to, to a good palate cleanser for until, yeah, everything uh, that we've got yeah. so far. <laughs> until we got to the end. Wow. And that was a moment when we got to the end and we saw Ultron. Yeah. There was a moment where I'm saying to myself, did they just jump the shark here? Where did all this come from? They're going to have to explain this. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they just kind of pulled this out from nowhere. How did we find ourselves in this situation? And wouldn't you know it, we get the next episode, and that's exactly what we got. Mm -hmm. We get, what if Ultron would have won? Yeah, and then we didn't, you know, they didn't even, like, show him winning. We just immediately went into the aftermath. This is the way it's been for a while. Yeah. You know, we're right in the middle of everything right now. Well, we did get that. We did get the moment where Ultron had defeated the Avengers Mm -hmm. who were trying to stop him from taking the body, which, of course, in our timeline that we're used to, Mm -hmm. they were able to create vision from. But I'm going to say this. This is my least favorite episode. Yeah. This is my least favorite episode. And again, I understand I'm nitpicky. Maybe I'm going to lose my Marvel fanboy card over this. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that I hated the episode by mm-hmm. any stretch of the imagination, but there are some things in there that hit me in a way that I just could not justify in myself. Ooh, it's uh-huh. mostly, I would say, minor details to <laughs> some degree. Uh-huh. We'll just put this up front. The one thing that I really hated about the episode was the confrontation between Ultron and Thanos. Okay. Because it was over in three seconds, Uh and it was like the laziest writing you could possibly (laughs) have done. I'm not saying it had to be much longer. Uh If you just had Ultron's drones distract him long enough in a fight to demonstrate the power of the Infinity Stones and have him ambush him, you know, from behind or whatever. Uh Okay, 10 or 15 seconds more, but that made more sense to me than what they did. What they did was... We want Ultron to have the Infinity Stones. Let's get that done as quickly as we can. Mm -hmm. Let's get past that so that we can get to the stuff we want to write about. Uh, As Deadpool (laughs) would have put it in Deadpool 2, lazy writing. The plot vehicle, the the taxi cab that's fast enough to get you, you know, 50 miles across country in time to to be there for when the big thing happens. When something happens because it has to happen and you don't have any kind of justification. Again, because I write. Mm Mm-hmm. This stuff I'm more sensitive to, I admit. And I'm sure it didn't bother a whole lot of people. But again, I'm the, I'm the guy who mm-hmm. watched the pilot for X-Files and didn't watch it for years afterwards because of the one thing uh-huh. that yes. upset the heck out of me. Yes, I And once that, moment, once that moment happened for me in this, I started picking everything apart. I couldn't <laughs> help it. Uh-huh. You know, the whole issue with when Ultron started killing the other worlds and then ran into the Guardians of the Galaxy... And then killed them, mm-hmm. you know, the world of of the golden people, and then killed yeah. them. And there is Gamora fighting with them. And I'm like, when why did is that she happen? there? Yeah, when why did that happen? Why is she there? Uh-huh. She should, if Thanos got the Soul Stone, he would have gotten it by killing Gamora. She shouldn't have been there. Mm-hmm. They just didn't pay attention. And <laughs> now I now here's the thing. Maybe in this world, right? 
maybe Nebula was the beloved daughter yeah, and she killed her. her. Maybe. But here's the problem. I don't I, if, remember seeing her. No. Did we? Okay, all right. No, we didn't. So maybe that's the case. But now I feel like I'm making excuses for them. Uh, uh-huh. I feel like if if you were to ask them, well, what's Gamora doing there? They wouldn't be like, oh, well, Nebula was the... No, they'd be like, uh, uh, uh. And then they'd realize <laughs> they'd have to come up with something. I think they just... This was another piece of, oh, they kind of slipped up a little bit. And so, yeah, once that happened and I, I started going down that slippery slope mm-hmm. that being a writer with ADHD gives you... Yes, I'm starting to pick this stuff apart, which you never want anybody to be doing. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I didn't enjoy that as much as the other episodes. Uh-huh. But, again, not saying it was a bad episode, and it's certainly a build-up. This is part two of what's going to be a part three, because uh, mm-hmm. these last three are going to be, they're all tied together. Yes, mm-hmm. and I, I really did, you know, enjoy the crashing through the different worlds. Oh, yeah. And I, then they would flip and, you know, go from the gold people into the scroll and... Uh, Wakanda yes, and all of that. Uh, and then switch and flip and, you know, that they're just crashing through these universes. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. They're certainly setting up a lot of stuff for this next episode, which will be the season finale. And I'm definitely looking forward to it. Like Mm -hmm. I said, this episode will probably be my least favorite because there are just some flaws in it that are pet peeves of mine. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that anyone else. That's why you didn't like the Han Solo movie. And yeah. And what was his motivation? (laughs) (laughs) There you go. But, um, I'm not ready to bail on this show by any stretch of the imagination, and I think I'm really going to enjoy this next episode. And so, mm. they can't all be gems, right? You or, know, because then you can't say you know these are the best. No, right there, there, you go. But now we get to The Walking Dead. And we got two episodes, and like very much like we did with Venom, I am not going to talk about anything specifically. Mm-hmm. There is one piece that I am going to discuss that you could consider a spoiler, mm-hmm. but I want to talk generally about these these episodes because I see where they're going. Mm-hmm. They are definitely positioning this world and basically an understanding of this world to where we're seeing where has humanity gone. And we've talked about this before. All really good zombie stories are always about the humans. They're not right. about the zombies. No. And the zombie story, it distills the essence of humanity. Mm-hmm. What is humanity when you boil it down to its essence? Mm-hmm. And these last couple of episodes, there's hope, but there's also despair. You see the apex of humanity's achievements under this difficult time, but also the flaws in that society. But you also see just how far people have descended. You see hypocrisy in some aspects. You see people saying one thing, but acting in a completely different way. And so we're really looking at humanity, what humanity is, how we interpret certain events that when it's them, it's a bad thing, but when we do it, it's a good thing. Oh, yes. And the one thing I wanted to talk about, and this is out of the last episode, is the conversation between Negan and Maggie and something that is said. And I'm going to say that from this point on, there are going to be a couple of spoilers for the recent episode, which hasn't aired yet uh, this Sunday. Mm -hmm. They're not major plot points, but they're scenes that I wanted to talk to you about. Okay. 
And the one specific that I wanted to talk about is this scene between Negan and Maggie where they're sitting around the campfire trying to figure out what their next move is against the Reapers. Mm-hmm. Maggie has come up with a solution that you're, again, I don't want to make this a spoiler, but you're like, you're really going to do this? Ugh. We're really going down this road. After everything that has happened, you're doing this? And Negan has been kind of a coach to her. He's helping her do this. But obviously there's tension between them for obvious reasons. Right. And while they're sitting around the fire eating, Maggie asked Negan about the stuff that he had done when he was the leader of the Saviors, what he had done to them, what he to their group. Mm-hmm. I mean, what he did to Abraham. Yep. <laughs> what he did to her husband and the father of her child. Right. What, you know, smashing Glenn's head in while she watched. While Negan is talking about this, and he's talking about, look, back then we were fighting all the time. Mm-hmm. But right now there's there's just not enough people to fight. Mm-hmm. There's not enough stuff to fight over. And Maggie asks him the question, are you saying you would have done things differently if you had the choice? And of all the things that he could have said, I was fascinated about what he did say, which was, yeah, I would have done things differently. I would have killed all of you. Ooh. <laughs> and, and I found that a very interesting thing for him to say because, number one, obviously that's not a team-building exercise to admit that. Uh-uh. But the truth is, if he'd have said anything else, it would have been an obvious lie. And and he's kind of right. I mean, <laughs> things would have been a lot better for him and his people yeah. had he killed all of them. <laughs> you know, because the irony of the situation is this. We look at Rick and his group as the good guys. Right. And we look at uh-huh. Negan and his group as being the bad guys. And not without justification. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it, here's what we got. You have these two groups that are fighting with each other. Mm-hmm. I watched a video on YouTube some time ago. And I went back to uh, watch it again because I wanted to make sure I had this right. Uh-huh. When Rick's group ran into the Saviors, they killed on screen. And we're not talking about off screen deaths. Mm-hmm. On screen, they killed 47 of the Saviors. Like, um nearly unprovoked you know they hadn't talked to them or anything yeah. right i mean that's what i thought this was before the meeting where abraham and glenn were killed right they had killed 47 saviors mm-hmm. on screen and negan decided i'm going to kill one yeah he wound up having to kill two mm-hmm. but that's what he decided now who looks like the good guy in that right? situation mm-hmm. and i'm mm-hmm. not saying negan was the good guy he had reasons yeah yeah. All the good villains and stuff, like uh, the governor. Yeah, that's he was a bit, you know, sociopathic, and, you know, people loved him and put him in charge. So while he, on the surface it looked like he was a good leader, he was crazy. But then Negan had, had reasons. Uh, he was cruel sometimes, but he was a good leader. Again, you know, I've made the uh, Caesar and Spartacus, yeah, made the comparisons all the time. Yeah. I mean, the truth of it is when you look at the situation and— and this is something that the producers of the show have said is one thing they wanted for Negan's story is to say that if we had followed Negan from the beginning, mm-hmm. we would have been on Negan's side in that situation. And when you look at the here's Negan and you see how he got to that situation. And also you have this conversation with Negan and with Maggie and you realize that she realizes how many of the saviors they killed before that moment happened and realize that. You should have shown mercy is going to sound hollow coming from her Mm -hmm. when she's about to do a lot worse to the Reapers. She's Mm -hmm. not showing them mercy. Okay. She is planning on killing all of them in like the worst way you can imagine. Now, do they know Daryl is with 
the Reapers. They do. They do. Okay. All right. Okay. And Daryl's got his own situation he's dealing with, obviously. Okay. Which we won't go into because of spoilers, but yeah, he, she's basically getting ready to rain hell. <laughs> she's getting ready to pull a carol and burn, burn shit. <laughs> well, she's getting ready to do to pull a something else, which I'll tell you when I'll tell you when we're done recording. But, okay. Um, but. <laughs> I can't really say without it being spoilers for okay. the podcast, but yeah, she's about to do something horrible. When you look at the, especially the history of the show, you're like, this is the road you're going down. Okay. <laughs> for a bunch of reasons, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I just <laughs> don't know. But that will definitely be something we'll be looking forward to seeing. We shall see. Certainly. <laughs> And so with that said, we come to the end of episode 125. Thank you for listening, and tune in next time for the latest in geek news and views with the Geek Watch podcast. For Mandy Petrie, this is Brian Hatcher, reminding all the geek watchers out there, we're all geeky about something. Be proud of yours. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Geek Watch podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the GeekWatch podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The GeekWatch podcast is a Hanging J production. <laughs>